I heard this story in the Faroe Islands quite a few years ago, on the island of Sandai. And uh, there were people telling stories. I was there with my dear old pal Lawrence Tullock. And we had told some stories, and then there came time for other people to tell stories. And you could tell. It didn't take Sherlock Holmes to work out that all they were doing was telling jokes. There would be a and you think, you're right, it's not really storytelling, is it? It's just telling jokes. We couldn't understand it, of course, it was in Faroese, but, you know, you get the picture. Well, then there was an old woman stood up, and she started to speak, and the hall that we were in fell silent. And there was an atmosphere there that was difficult to explain, other than the fact that it was obvious that we were in the presence of a very powerful story. But of course we couldn't understand it. Now we were staying with a friend of mine, Catherine Peterson, and I said to Catherine, what was, what was the story? And she said, I'll tell you when we get home. So, me and Lawrence were staying at Catherine's place, so we went back there, we got a, a bottle of Highland Park whiskey, we popped the cork, threw it away, wouldn't be needing that again, and we filled up three glasses. And then she said, well, I'll tell you the story that was told tonight. And she told this tale. And it was powerful. Now, me and Lawrence both remember it slightly differently. This is the version that I remember. And whether we're right or wrong, well, who knows. But uh, I did ask Catherine once, but she couldn't actually remember the story, which is uh, the way it goes. But it's called The Red and White Roses. Now, there was a young priest that came to the island of Sandoy. And he was, uh, he was a, a minister, Lutheran church. And this was his first parish. And that man, well, he had a mighty opinion of himself. He was an important man. He certainly was important in the island. But to him, oh, he was something rather special. Now, he was preaching away there the one day, and, you know, he was, he had been harboring thoughts about maybe it was time that he should get married. He was an important person, and therefore he should have a wife with him. And as he was lecturing there and preaching the one Sunday, his eyes fell on a beautiful girl that sat in the front row. She was a rare beauty, and he thought she looks like the sort of person that could be my wife. Maybe I will do this great honour of asking her. But then he thought, mm, but I'm an important man. I have to find out about her first. I have to find out whether she's worthy to be my wife. So he made inquiries. And everybody said the same thing. 
She comes from a good family, hard-working, conscientious, church-going people. She's kind and thoughtful. She's a lovely girl. She isn't seeing anyone. She hasn't been going out with anyone else. And she is without blame. There is nothing bad that anybody could say about her. And so the minister started to think, well, maybe I, maybe I will do her the honor of making her my wife. So the one Sunday, as he was standing at the door of the church when the service was over and he was shaking hands with everybody as they left, he said to the girl, Would you stay behind? Uh, I would like to ask you something. So the girl very politely and very graciously agreed, and she waited until he'd finished shaking hands with everyone, and then he turned to her when they were alone, and he said, you know that I'm a stranger in these islands. I I don't really know my way around very well, and I wondered if you would be kind enough to to show me the island. Well, I would be delighted to, she says, yes. And so the two of them set off, and she showed him around a part of the island, and then they would meet up at other times, and she would take him to other parts of the island and show him all the sights. And it was a very beautiful island. Now, the two of them started to become fond of each other. And one day, he did that great honour of going down on one knee and asking her to be his wife. She agreed. She thought he was nice. And so, it was announced, the bands was read in the church, and the wedding was being prepared. Now, there was just one problem. You see, the girl had a fear, a terrible, terrible fear. The fear that she had was of childbirth. You see, she'd heard stories about women dying in agony with a child stuck in her belly. And she was afraid of the pain. She was afraid of the danger. This was back in a time. This was long ago. This is when childbirth was a very, very dangerous time for any woman. And it bothered her. And she lost sleep over it. She couldn't help but to worry. Now, on the night before her wedding, she went to bed, and it was the same story. She tossed and turned. She lay awake. When she did sleep, she had terrible dreams and woke up. And it was getting near dawn when she finally fell into a slumber. And she slept for, she didn't know how long, but it didn't seem to be that long, because it was still fairly dark when she woke up. It was starting to turn light. But she'd had a dream. And in the dream, she dreamt that if she went down to the mill and turned the millstone backwards, then she would not have any children. She 
didn't understand the dream. She didn't know what it meant, but it was so real that she had to act on it. And so she got up, she slipped on a coat, and she ran down to the mill. She opened the door in the, the twilight and, and went in, just starting to get light. She went in, and there was the mill wheel in front of her. She took it, and with all her might, she, she heaved it. Now, in the dream, she was told that she had to turn the millstone against the course of the sun, anti-clockwise. So she did. She turned it, and she heard a crack between the stones. She turned it some more, and there was another crack between the stones. She turned it more, and there was a third crack. And then after that, all was silent. She turned the stone for a bit more, but there was no more sounds. And so she went back to her home and back to her bed, and she did manage to get a couple of hours sleep. And it was the best sleep that she'd had for a long time. The next day she got up. Her mother combed out her hair. She was dressed in her finery and went to the church and was married to the minister. Now everything was fine. Everything was sweetness and light for a while. But there was one fateful day. It was in the early summer, and the sun was setting, and it cast long shadows. Now, the minister was out walking with his wife, and he could see behind him his shadow was stretching out long into the distance. And then suddenly a look of horror crossed his face, and he said to his wife, What have you done? What? What have you done? What do you mean, what have I done? I, I, I don't understand. Look, he said, and he pointed. You cast no shadow, he says. And sure enough, his shadow was long stretched out, but she cast no shadow at all. You must have done something very wicked, very evil to have lost your shadow. What is it? Well, suddenly the, the young woman remembered about turning the quernstone, but that was just as the result of a dream. She didn't think that it was bad in any way, and so she said nothing. She denied all knowledge. But the minister kept on. He kept on at her, nagging her again, over and over and over again. He never gave her any peace. I want to know what it is you've done. I haven't done anything, she said. And no matter how hard he hit her, she would not confess she said she'd done nothing, and that was as much as she would say. The minister was furious. And that night, he said, you are going to spend the night in the church. 
And then you can pray there and you can repent on your sins and you can tell me in the morning what it is that you did that has cost you your shadow. You must have done some deal with the devil or something to have lost your shadow. And that night he dragged her down to the church and he threw her in through the door and he slammed it behind her and he locked it. And the poor girl lay on the church floor sobbing. She cried until she had no more tears to cry, but she still found a few more. Now, she was starting to drift off to sleep in her sorrow and her grief. And she woke up sometime in the middle of the night. It was very dark. And she could see something move in the shadows in the corner of the church. And it stepped forward, and it was a ram. It was a black ram, but it had a white head. And it said to her, I would have been your son, had you let me live. Had you given me life, I would have been an important man here in the islands. I would have risen to become a high court judge. But you never gave me that chance. You didn't let me be born. And as your punishment, I am going to punish you. And he lowered his head and he ran at her and he butted her. He knocked her flying. He carried on hitting her again and again and again till she was black and blue. And then he hooked his horn through her clothes and dragged her around the church, beating her against the side of the pews till she was black and blue and bloody. And then, just as the dawn was approaching, it vanished. The next morning the minister came down and unlocked the door and found his wife lying inside, all battered and bloodied. He took her home, and he kept pressing her to know what happened, but she wouldn't tell him. That night, <clears throat> that second night, he took her back to the church and he threw her in. There was no mercy in that man. And he said, you'll spend another night here until you tell me what's been going on. And she lay there and she cried again. And she dozed and she woke up in the middle of the night and she saw something move in the shadows. And out stepped another ram. It was black as well, but it had a white ring around its neck. I would have been your son, said the second ram. Had you given me life, I would have become a very important person here in the islands. I would have become a bishop. But you wouldn't let me be born. You never gave me that chance, and I'm going to punish you for it. And it lowered its head, and it raced towards her, and it beat her mercilessly, and it hooked its horns on her clothes, and it dragged her around the church and battered her. The poor woman was battered black and blue and bloody. If the first ram had been cruel, the second was worse. And again, just before the dawn, the ram vanished, and she lay there, 
broken and bloodied. The next morning the minister came down, and he asked her again what had happened, and again she refused to tell him. And that night he dragged her back to the church for a third time, and he threw her in and locked the door, and she lay on the floor waiting. She knew what was coming, and she waited for it. She also knew that this ram would probably be the death of her, because she was already so beaten and broken from the first two nights. But again she fell into a, an uneasy slumber. And then, in the middle of the night, she woke up, and she could see something move in the shadows in the corner of the church. She waited for the ram to step forward, but it wasn't a ram. It was a small girl who was horribly twisted and deformed. And every step that she took was agony. You could see it in her face, in her eyes. Her eyes spoke volumes of the agony that that little girl was in every time she moved. And she said, thank you. Thank you for not giving me life. I would have been your daughter. And I would have had the most terrible, terrible life. I would be in pain constantly. And the other children would mercilessly tease me. And I would, my life would be made a misery. But you spared me that. You didn't let me be born, and I thank you for it. Well, the woman wasn't expecting that. And no matter how cruel those two rams had been to her, it was this little girl, this piteous little child, that hurt her more than the rams did. It broke her heart to see her. The little girl smiled and faded away, and the woman wept. She wept like she had never wept before in her life. And in the morning, when her husband came back, he took her back up to the house, and he put her to bed. She was so battered, and she was still sobbing. And then, she told him everything. She told him about the dream, about going down to the mill, about turning the millstone backwards, about the three cracks between the stones. She told him about the rams and about the little girl. But he was unmoved. Didn't you know you were making a pact with the devil when you did that? No, she said, no, I didn't. I wouldn't have done it if I'd known. Well, it's too late now, he says. The deed is done. Your sin has been committed. And I can never, ever forgive you for that, for the shame that you have brought on me. Me, the minister of the island. An important figure in the community. How could you be so selfish as to do that to me? Well, the poor woman, 
She knew that she was broken, not only in body, but in spirit. She knew that death was coming for her. And she said, Tell me, will I ever be forgiven? You will never be forgiven, he said, in this life or the next. Is there no hope of salvation for me? she pleaded. Is there no hope of mercy in the afterlife? <laughs> you will go to heaven, he said, pointing to her shoes under the bed. You will go to heaven when red and white roses grow out of those shoes. And then he turned around and he walked out the room and he never saw her alive again. He refused to go near her. The servants told him that she was nearing death, but he stayed where he was. He didn't care. And so the poor woman died. But the minister hadn't finished with her yet. Because he refused to bury her, he refused to carry out the funeral rites for her. So they had to send to another island for another minister to come and conduct the funeral. Well, the weather was getting a bit stormy, and the boat couldn't safely make it across from another island. And so time passed. And it was nearly three weeks before they were able to get a minister across who would take the funeral service. Now, the men went upstairs on the day of her funeral, and she was to be put in her coffin. And the men shouted to her husband downstairs, Minister, quick, quick, come and see this. The minister ran up the stairs and said, What is it? And they said, Look. And they pointed to her shoes that were under the bed. And instead of laces, the laces had turned into red and white roses, entwined around the lace holes and in bloom. And that showed that she may not have been forgiven on earth, but she had been forgiven by a higher authority than her husband.